right, well, I am excited, and I hope each one of you are as well, because we are returning to our roots this morning. As adherents to the Pentecostal tradition, I hope you are excited today as we dig into the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. So today, we are in week two of our seven-week Foundational Truth series. Now, as last week I introduced that I felt the Lord put seven different topics on my heart that we were supposed to begin with in this new season at Bethel to sort of set a foundation for us moving forward as a church. And we talked about last week how important foundations are. If you want a strong building, a large building, you need a strong foundation. And so we're taking these seven weeks to just really lay down some strong foundation, things that we want to be part of the DNA of this church, things we want this church to be known for. And so last week, we looked at the foundational topics of all foundations, and we considered the topic of truth. So in case you weren't here, let me just kind of give us a recap before we move on. So what we saw last week is that the Bible is and must serve as the standard of truth that we follow. And the reason the Bible is the standard and is the truth is it because it reveals Jesus who is truth. So truth is not a concept. Truth is not a person's opinion. Truth is not merely words on a page. Truth is a person. Jesus is truth. So we are called to know the truth of God's word because it leads us to Jesus who is truth himself. And when we come to Christ and we encounter him and we know him, and not just know about him, but truly know him, then we can be set free to be all that Christ created us to be, and we can do everything that he created us to do. And so we said that we needed to know the truth of God's word in the Bible, and we must allow the truth of his word to lead us to Jesus. So studying the word of God, it's an important thing, but the aim of it all is to lead us to Jesus himself. The ultimate goal is to know Christ and then to make him known. So this isn't just knowledge of Christ for the sake of checking off a box each day. It's digging into the word of God and pursuing a true relationship with Christ And then taking that truth to a world that is in desperate need of it. So today we're going to add another layer to that foundation. In the same manner that the church needs the truth, the church also needs the power of God. The power of God. So truth sets the foundation for God to pour out his power. I believe truth and power are really just two sides of the same coin. Now, I've always found this sort of interesting because there seems to be this sort of tension between different groups in the church, different groups in the church. And you see some people who identify as fundamentalists that seem to be on this one side. And then you see the other side of the spectrum where you tend to have your Pentecostals and your charismatics. And what's interesting, right, is you have fundamentalists and they want to be known for valuing the word of God. They want to be known for people who just love the word of God and we value the word of God and we study the word of God. And what you sometimes see is they will be very critical of Pentecostals and Charismatics because they'll be like, oh, those are just the people. They just want an emotional experience. They just want an emotional high. They don't really know God's word. On the flip side, though, you then also have Pentecostals and Charismatics who can be very sort of critical of fundamentalists And we break out that one verse that everybody likes to break out. Well, they have a form of godliness, but not the power. 
right? Those fundamentalists, they're just in dry old religion. They just study the word, but they don't really know God like we do. Now, what I find odd about this is there is no reason whatsoever that it needs to be an either or. There is not some sort of decision we need to make between deeply knowing God's word and then pressing in to encounter him and experience his power. It must be a both and. We must value and know the word of God, and we must also cry out and press into knowing Christ in his power. Knowing him through experience with him, walking with him. We need to know the truth of God, but we also need to press in for the power of God. God's will is that we would know the word and we would know truth. That we would know Jesus with the evidence of God working in our lives to make us more like him. And that we would walk in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. So the Assemblies of God, that's what this church belongs to. The very denomination we belong to was birthed out of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The roots of this movement were founded in the power of God being poured out the way that it was always meant to be from the very beginning of the church. See, something powerful happens when you have spirit-filled, truth-filled men and women of God. See, desiring to walk in the power of God should actually increase our desire to know God's truth deeply, and then we should realize that there's no conflict between the truth and the power of God, but rather a beautiful synergy between the two. So we need the power of God to be operating in us and in this church. And so today we are going to study a few scriptures that demonstrate God's intentions for his power to be present in his church. We'll start today in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We have a number of verses. They will be up on the screen if you want to follow along there as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, one verse here, verse 20 It says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Let's read that again. I like that. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So in this section, if you study the book of 1 Corinthians, what you will see is that Paul is correcting the church at Corinth, and he specifically is speaking to a group of people at that church that he refers to as arrogant, who apparently were talking themselves up a whole lot, They were criticizing Paul and his ministry in an attempt to get people to follow them. And Paul responds to them in 1 Corinthians, and he says, that's awesome, guys. I'm going to come visit you soon. And when I do, we are going to find out if you all just are a bunch of talk or if you actually have the power of God. Because the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of talk. It is the power of God. So the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign has power. First, it's the power to take people's lives and to totally transform it, to take the sinner and turn them into a saint. And that word in the Greek literally means a holy one. He takes the worst of sinners and in a moment converts them and gives them an identity as his son and daughter, as a holy one in him. And second, there is power to advance into the world through people that have been changed by the kingdom and have that power operating in their lives. The power of God is available in his kingdom, meaning it's available to all those who have become part of it, all those who have made Jesus Lord over their lives. So we got into the kingdom through a supernatural means. 
That's what I want everybody to really just kind of think on this morning. The Bible calls it being born again, being born of the Spirit. See, when you accepted Christ, it wasn't just that you made a decision in your mind and you went about your merry way. It was you made a decision, I'm following Christ, I took a step of faith, and then the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit came upon you and completely transformed you. He takes us from the kingdom of darkness and he yanks us out of there and he puts us into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. So we started this walk with Christ through supernatural means and supernatural power. So if salvation begins with a power encounter with the Holy Spirit, why would we ever think that the rest of our lives shouldn't be as well? If it started that way, God's intentions are for it to continue that way. If we entered into the kingdom through the power of God, we should be living in the kingdom in that very same power. The supernatural power of God operating through his church is not a nice add-on. It's not just like, yeah, maybe we'll have a little bit of the power of God on the side here. Or, you know, maybe he'll show up this Sunday and do some cool things. It's not a nice add-on. It is central to the gospel message. It is a core component of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote in Romans 15, verses 18 and 19, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul says that he led Gentiles to obey God through both what he said and what he did. Both what he said and what he did. And then he specifies the what. It was the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he ties both of those things. And he says, because I proclaim the truth of Christ and because God worked through my life, through power, through signs and wonders, because both of those things operated in my ministry, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, if we want to fully see the gospel, the full message of the good news, it's not just us proclaiming the good news, it's also God demonstrating the good news through power, through signs, through wonders, through miracles, through supernatural means. The gospel of Christ is not theoretical. It's the supernatural power of God where we can proclaim what Christ has done and then believe that the power of the Holy Spirit will come and show what we just proclaimed. See, the gospel message is not just that Christ died and we can receive him and go to heaven someday. Right? That's a vital aspect that's central to the gospel message, but it's not the full gospel message. The full gospel message is that Christ died for us so that we could be redeemed, so we could be restored. He died for us so his original intentions for man could be completed in this earth. And then someday, we get to spend eternity with heaven as well. So the gospel is for now and for all of eternity. I get very peeved where people, they start talking about the kingdom, and they're like, yeah, the kingdom's now, but it's, it's also for later. And it seems like there's this push in the church to just keep pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. No, Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. 
That means it's here, it's available. We just need to reach out and take hold of it. Yes, Christ will fully consummate his kingdom someday, but I see no reason why we can't advance that kingdom powerfully in our communities and in this world. The power of God is available to the church to bring this redemption and restoration into people's lives. See, we must never be satisfied to simply proclaim truth from the Bible without also giving God an opportunity to demonstrate that truth. We can't just talk. We need to allow God to show up and do what he wants to do. See, Paul said, I preach the gospel and I allow God's God's power to move through my life. And because I did both of those things, I feel confident that I fully proclaimed the gospel message. Now, Paul wasn't making this up on his own. This wasn't just Paul's idea. If you actually study the scripture, what you'll see is that Paul was just following the same tradition that was set by Christ. The ministry of Christ and the ministry of his disciples followed this exact same pattern. It always consisted both of proclamation of truth and demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Matthew 10, 7 and 8. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples as he begins to send them out. He says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So in these verses, we see the disciples. They're sent out by Christ to spread the gospel message. And Christ instructs them to follow the exact same model he used in ministering to people through proclamation of the gospel and demonstration of its power. And you can see this in Matthew. Before you even get to to chapter 10, time and time again, it talks about Christ proclaiming truth, healing the sick. He would always proclaim truth and then demonstrate the power contained in that truth. Jesus always spoke on the kingdom. He proclaimed it and then demonstrated it. So here he tells the disciples, proclaim that the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's what I just said. If it's come near, it means it's within our reach. It's within our grasp. We just need to reach out and take hold of it. The kingdom of heaven has come near. means it's available to us. And because it is available to us, we can now see the reality of the kingdom come crashing into earth. And we can see the supernatural power of God manifest in our world. That's what that prayer means, on earth as it is in heaven. If we really grasp God's intentions in that prayer, I think our minds would just be blown because what he is telling us to pray is that this earth would look exactly like heaven. That this earth would be transformed in such a manner that the realities of heaven would become the realities of this earth. His intentions are not for this thing to just all fall apart. His intentions are to redeem and restore and bring his kingdom here on this earth. On earth as it is in heaven. It's a powerful prayer. That power is available to us because the same Holy Spirit that was poured out and operating in the early church is the same Holy Spirit that's poured out and operating today. And Christ's intentions have never changed. Never changed. One of these Sundays, we are going to look at God's original intentions. We'll look at the commission given to Adam and Eve, and we will see that his intentions for this world have never changed. How we get there changed because of what Adam and Eve did, but his intentions have never changed. That's going to be a lot of fun, I promise. Um, Acts 1, let's look at verse 8. 
It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Let's just read that again. I like that. That makes me really happy. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We will receive power, and because the church receives power, we will, not can, but we will be witnesses to all the ends of the earth. I love verses like this because they let us in on the heart of God. What's his intentions for this world? Well, this verse tells us that God's intentions and his will are for the witness of the gospel to be present in all of the earth. In all of the earth. Now, obviously, one church, Bethel, this body, we can't go out into all of the world. But we most certainly can go out and take this message and this power to our Jerusalem, which is Littlestown. And we can take it to our Judea and our Samaria, Adams County and Carroll County and York County. We can take it out and then we can send others who are going even further into all of the world. We can do our part to seeing this gospel message spread through our community, through our region and into this world. And imagine if every single church did that. Imagine if every single church really took this seriously and went after it. Do you know there are 3 million adherents to the Assemblies of God in the United States? 3 million. Imagine if 3 million people that believe that they want to be spirit-filled and they're part of this sort of denomination that believes in the power of the Spirit. Imagine if 3 million people got truly sold out to God and would go forth to do his work. Telling you, this country is not too far gone. That's just one denomination. That's just the assemblies of God. There are many other believers on fire for him. What if, what if God has given us power? We are to go into our communities to see them changed. For this to effectively happen, we need Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit power. And what Christ promised in Acts 1.8, he fulfilled as we see in Acts 2. If you want to flip over to there, I'll give you a second. We're going to spend some time breaking down these verses. Acts 2, we'll look at verses 16 to 21. It says, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, if these verses don't get you excited, I don't know what will. These are like some of the greatest verses you can read in the Bible. So the context here leading up to these verses is that the disciples have been meeting together in Jerusalem. Christ has ascended back to heaven. He told the disciples, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. And so they've been meeting together in the upper room, seeking the power of the Holy Spirit. It's important for us to realize that because them receiving the Holy Spirit was so important that Christ told them, don't do anything else until you receive him. 
Don't do anything else. See, to my mind, I'm a guy of action. Like, I like to get on things. It's like, all right, Jesus, you're ascending to heaven. We need to spread this gospel to the world. I need to get out there and start telling people about Jesus today. But Christ says, oh, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit and his power is so important in your life and to your mission that you cannot do that until you receive him, until he comes and pours out on people. He was, in essence, telling them and consequently us The mission I have given you is so great and so big that you can't accomplish it in your own strength, but can only accomplish it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the disciples, they came together. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them as we read. And the Bible describes it. It was like tongues of fire that came upon them, and they spoke in tongues as the Spirit empowered them. And you may ask, and what did they get for this obedience to the Lord? Well, from the people who witnessed them, they got ridiculed and mocked and laughed at. People who saw this happening thought they had too much wine, that they were intoxicated. They got ridiculed and laughed at and mocked. See, the challenge for any church seeking a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit is this. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to truly move, even if it makes things a little bit messy? It maybe forces us out of our comfort zone. See, everyone will tell you that they want the Holy Spirit to move. They want the Holy Spirit outpouring, but realize that he will not be fit inside of any box that we have of how we think he should move. He won't be fit inside of our notions and our box. He will not be boxed in. Proverbs 14, 14, and I don't think I have this one on the slide, so I apologize Um, But it says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. Read that one more time. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox come abundant harvests. You say, what does an ox have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, this verse is teaching us that there is no mess to clean up if you don't have any oxen, but guess what? You're not going to get a whole lot of work done. Having oxen allows you to accomplish some great things, but we know there's going to be a little bit of mess to clean up. See, many churches have chosen to stifle the Holy Spirit out of a fear that there could be some mess, that there could be some things that we haven't seen before or we're not used to, and we decide it's just a little bit safer to not have that mess than to allow him to have full reign and full control. But this verse teaches us that we can only have an abundant harvest when we have the Holy Spirit, though he may show up and he may just take us completely out of our comfort zones. He may take us out of our comfort zones. He may push us in a way that we have never seen before. But the thing is, I don't want to accomplish what I can only accomplish through my own strength because it won't add up to a whole lot. It'll have little effect. I want to see what only the Holy Spirit can do because when he shows up, it changes everything. All right, so don't misunderstand me today. I'm not advocating for nonsense or anything fake or conjured up. All right, don't misunderstand me today. I've seen it. You may have seen it as well. You've seen people who, for whatever reason, they act a certain way that's odd, not because the Holy Spirit wants them to, but maybe they want attention or Maybe they want to feel like the Holy Spirit's moving on them. I don't know. When the Holy Spirit is moving in power and the gifts are operating, you do open the possibility that someone may speak from their own heart 
Someone may just sort of completely miss it, or somebody may act a little bit weird, because let's be honest, there's some weird people in this world. You're not one of them. No one in here, of course. But there are some weird people in this world. So the Holy Spirit starts moving. If someone acts a little weird, it may just be that they're a little bit weird. But the thing is, I've seen the other side of it, and I'm sure many of you have too. I've seen the power of words of knowledge flowing that have just opened people's hearts to everything that Jesus has for them. I've seen prophecies spoken over people that changed their lives in an instant. I've seen the Holy Spirit touch people, and in a moment, everything changed. I've seen them fall on the floor laughing uncontrollably, and it was completely from him. And they got up with joy that they've never had in their lives. I've seen people knocked down by the Spirit. They got up and their lives were completely changed. And I've seen some people touched by the Spirit who would have really fit in well with the disciples on the day of Pentecost, if you know what I mean. The Spirit's power moves. He can do more than what we can ever do. So my position is this. My position is this. I'd rather take the time and build a culture here at Bethel where we learn to properly steward and test things against the standard of Scripture and the testimony of the Spirit inside of us, where we may need to clean up a little bit of mess sometimes, but we see the Holy Spirit's power and an abundant harvest. I'd rather, have to, I'd rather do that than to stifle the Spirit because we're afraid of a little bit of mess, and consequently we end up with a small harvest. Let's have hearts aligned that we will allow the Holy Spirit to move and we will navigate it like we talked about last week with God's truth in the word. But we're not going to stifle the spirit out of fear because that's what the enemy wants to do. We're going to say, Holy Spirit, move in here. Have your way. Do what you want to do. We are a people of the spirit. We need the Holy Spirit outpouring in our church. We need the gifts to be operating Because it prepares us to go out like the disciples and like Paul to see those same things operating through us towards our world. See, the church should be a safe place for us to learn about our giftings and a safe place to learn about the Spirit's power and how he moves as a precursor to walking in those things throughout our week. See, this should be a safe place where you can come to somebody and say, hey, I felt like the Lord put this on my heart. And they can give you feedback because that prepares you to do that exact same thing as you're out amongst people as you go about your week. This should be a safe place for us to prepare for what God wants to do through us the other six days of the week. So in these verses, we see the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter stands up to preach. I love this because this was the man who denied Christ The man who, after Christ's resurrection, still seemed so unsure of who he was and suddenly, through the power of the Spirit, becomes the very mouthpiece for God. And he quotes from the prophet Joel, and what he essentially is saying is what Joel looked forward to, we have now entered into. What Joel said would one day come is now here, and we are ready. And so then he says in verse 17, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. I have really good news for you today. We can all play a part in this. This isn't for a certain subset. This isn't for super believers. This is for everyone. 
Now, Peter is not preaching that every single person in the world will have the Holy Spirit poured out on them. That's not what he's teaching. What he is teaching is every believer who's accepted Christ and opens their lives to the Holy Spirit can see this power flow into them. They can receive of him. And he goes and he says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Meaning this is available to both sons and daughters, meaning both men and women. He says they will prophesy, which means they will speak from the very heart of God. At at its very basic essence, that's what prophecy is. It's simply a message from the heart of God for this world, for somebody. Sometimes we think of prophecy as this big, scary thing. It's simply communicating God's heart to somebody. So your sons and your daughters will prophesy, not just sons. The same Holy Spirit is available for both men and women. See, there isn't a more powerful version of the Holy Spirit for men and a less powerful version for women. It's the exact same Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not trying to court controversy here, I promise, but this is important for the church. Women are called and empowered to be vessels of the Holy Spirit in the same manner that men are. We receive the same Holy Spirit. And while some denominations have stated, and this is real, this is happening right now, Saddleback Church that Rick Warren founded just got kicked out of the Baptist Convention because they have female pastors. And so while some churches believe that women cannot serve in certain positions such as pastors, I'd like to point out the following from Scripture. Paul in Romans calls out Junia as an apostle. The verses we just read testify that women would prophesy. Acts 21 tells of Philip's daughters who prophesied acting most likely out of the role of prophets. Anna was a prophet who prophesied over Jesus himself. Priscilla traveled with her husband, spreading the good news. In other words, she acted as an evangelist. Judea and Syntyche were called co-workers with Paul in spreading the gospel. Sounds like an evangelist to me. We see references to Nympha and the church that met in her house, John referred to the chosen lady in 2 John who appears to lead a house church. And for really good measure, you have Phoebe, who most scholars agree would have been the very person carrying the letter that we have today as the book of Romans. Maybe Paul's greatest treatise on the gospel, carried by a woman, delivered to Rome, and she wouldn't have been acting simply as a mailman to deliver it. In those times, the letter bearer would have been expected to deliver the letter and would have authority to help teach on its contents. As such, what we cannot do is we cannot take a couple of verses where Paul restricts certain women for a certain time in a certain place due to very specific issues in their church and try to make them universal commands against the rest of the testimony of Scripture, including Paul himself, that showed women as full partners in the early church including in every single one of the fivefold ministry. Now, this isn't a cardinal doctrine, right? So we don't need to go and we don't need to allow it to drive division between different denominations who believe differently. But I will say that I am glad to be part of the Assemblies of God who have empowered women in ministry from the very beginning. And I'm glad to be part of a church that supports women in ministry, including in a pastoral role. And I will note that we have an amazing one. Seriously. If you guys know anybody, you meet anyone, 
who thinks that women shouldn't be in ministry, that women shouldn't be able to teach men, just invite them to listen to Pastor Bree bring the word sometime. I promise you they'll learn some things, and by the end of it, they'll change their mind. Both sons and daughters, men and women, can receive and minister of the Holy Spirit. And I believe the church can be even more effective when we empower both men and women fully, our entire army, to walk in the mission we have been given. Next, it says your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Now, I am so good with this verse because I either don't dream dreams or I don't remember them. And so that keeps me firmly out of the old man category. (laughs) Love this verse. Love it. Having said that, God will probably humble me tonight and I will probably remember everything I dream. Sorry, Lord. All right, well, not quite. So the verse is not teaching that, right? So the verse is not teaching that only young men will get visions and then the old men just get dreams. What it's teaching is that the Holy Spirit is available to all ages and generations. See, the world struggles with generational conflict, but you're going to hear me say this a whole lot. In the kingdom, there is but one generation from the very youngest to the very oldest serving together to advance the kingdom in our world. We absolutely need the childlike faith of our kids. We absolutely need the energy and the willingness to try new things that our youth and our students bring. We need the resolve and the resourcing of the middle generations, and we absolutely need the stability and wisdom of our older ones. We must celebrate each and every generation in this church. Every generation gets to play a part in this. I love this. I really do. I love kids. I have like 50 of them right? Love them. Love kids. Kids are amazing. I love kids. I love students. Sarah and I served as youth pastors for many years. We help out Bree and Matt here as much as we can. We love students. See, we must provide them to be an opportunity. We must provide them an opportunity to be part of the church. You say, why do so many youth leave after they graduate high school? Well, there's probably different reasons, but one big reason is because many churches don't ever make them feel like they belong here outside of a different place in time. Many churches never fully embrace them and make them feel like they're the very part of the church and a very part of the fabric of the church. It's sort of like, yeah, go do your youth thing over there. We got it handled over here. I love students. I love kids. I love our middle generations, from the young adults who I would like to think that I still belong to, but I guess I don't. It's harsh. You see some churches, they cut it off at 35, they cut it off at 40, and now I'm north of that, and I'm just like, man, don't make it anymore. So I love those generations all the way through to what I'll call our pre-heritage middle-aged folks who I actually belong to. Love each and every one of you. See, the Lord is calling this group to step up, lead, and to help push the mission of Christ ahead. And I love our older generation. I love our older generation. My message for you is there is no simply riding it out. Even if you retired from your occupation, you don't ever retire from working in God's kingdom. You still have so much to give and so much that you can share with the younger generations in this church. For my heritage folks here, where are you at? Where's my heritage folks in here? Some of you don't want to admit it. It's all right. Wear it proud. It's good. For my heritage folks in here, know that we love you 
and we honor you and you will never be pushed to the side as if your best days are behind you because God's not done working in you yet. He's not done with you yet. And I want you to know that you have a pastor praying for you that like Job, the latter days will be even greater than the former ones. So from the very youngest at Bethel all the way up to the oldest, we are one generation, one body, ready to receive and advance this great kingdom together. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't use wisdom, especially when we reach out to our community and meeting different generations where they're at. I don't think we'd be too successful if we tried to do a heritage age outreach through TikTok. Anybody in the heritage age even know what TikTok is? I barely do myself, so don't worry. So we'll use wisdom as we reach out. But the message is, once you come into the kingdom, we are but one generation that we will value and we will work together as one. The verses then go on to say, even on my servants, meaning this is for the wealthy and the less than wealthy. Social status is not a limitation to what God wants to do through a person's life. Financial blessings are not an indicator of godliness. So whether you make a whole lot of money or perhaps you don't make a whole lot, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is for you. And if the worship team wants to go ahead and come on up. Now after this, the verses change focus just a little bit. We see some references in verse 19 and 20 to things, signs and wonders. There's some imagery in verse 20 that I would love to get into someday, but it would make this sermon go really, really long, so we don't have time for it today. But for today's purposes, recognize that God does signs and wonders. You say, why? Well, much like a sign leads you to where you are trying to go, God uses signs and wonders in a similar way. See, if you want to travel to Gettysburg, you may go out and you may see a sign on 97 that has an arrow pointing you to Gettysburg. The purpose of the sign is to simply get you to your destination, and it's the same with God. There are times he will do signs and wonders, and they're meant to lead and guide us to him. See, everything that we have talked about here today, it's for the church. It was for the church back then, and it's for the church until the time of Christ's return. The supernatural power of God Signs, wonders, and miracles associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit are to be part of the very fabric of the church. And a church that seeks the Holy Spirit and allows him to move should be one where we see these things present. This is for us in our day. And it's vital we don't accept a watered-down version of Christianity where we don't see these things. They are vital to our mission. And verse 21 tells us exactly why. Verse 21 says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is the aim of all of this? You say, do we really need signs and wonders and miracles? Do we need visions and supernatural dreams and prophecy? Church, more than we can ever imagine. Because they are given so that men and women will call on the name of the Lord in order to be saved. They are tools that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives so that we can lead people to Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. God's power poured out on his church has a purpose. God's power operating in our lives and in the church is never given for self-promotion, but rather for kingdom advancement. 
It's given to us so that we can advance the kingdom. God desires to pour out his spirit on his church so that his church can fulfill the mission he has given in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth so that every single nation is impacted by his kingdom. This is vital if we wanna reach our communities. See, what truly sets the church apart from the rest of society? Obviously, there's a whole bunch of things, but tying it to last, sermon, last week's sermon and this week's sermon, we have truth and we have the power of God. See, there are a lot of things that churches have become hyper-focused on. There are many churches that are just hyper-focused on, we gotta have the greatest lights, we gotta have the coolest stage, we gotta have the greatest coffee bar, we gotta have the perfect music, we gotta have the snazziest sermons with enough sound bites to fill up TikTok and Instagram. Now, don't misunderstand me. I love technology. It's an amazing thing. I love a nice, cool-looking stage and when there's lights. I love a good cup of coffee. Talented musicians are great. I can tell you I work my butt off on creating these sermons. But if the focus of the church swings too hard to just performance and lights and coffee and all of those things, what we need to realize is that the world has talented musicians and speakers. They have really good coffee shops. They have all the entertainment and concerts with great light shows that you can imagine. The problem is that the world has so much of what so many churches try to use to bring them in. And the world's just like, it's the same old but we have something the world can never offer. And it's the truth and the power of Jesus Christ that can set them free. The truth and the power of Jesus Christ that can break them from their bondage to sin and give them a life of purpose and meaning. We have something the world can never give. These are our distinctives that set us apart and make the world look at us and go, wow, they're sort of strange, but they got something we need. We need a Holy Spirit outpouring that empowers the church to proclaim the good news of Christ with power and authority. We need an outpouring of the Spirit where people start hearing about what God is doing. We need an outpouring so that when we go about our daily lives, we get visions and prophecy and words of knowledge through the Holy Spirit that we can share with the people we interact with every single day. The kingdom is not just the church talking a lot of talk, 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 talk. It's us stepping out to walk the walk and to walk the walk through the power of the Holy Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, whereby we walk in his power is meant to be a consistent part of our lives. See, I love that the disciples didn't stop with this one outpouring because just a couple chapters later in Acts 4, it says the place where they were once again was shaken. And it says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants to fill us over and over and over and over again so that it overflows from our lives into the lives of others. If you are here today, if you are watching online, it is God's desire to meet you, to fill you, and to operate through your life in power. In power. We're going to ask for a fresh filling of God in this place. This is for all of us. Men and women, young and old, wealthy and not so wealthy. This is for every single one of us. So for just a moment here, before we kind of wrap it up, let me get really practical. 
See, we must seek more of the Holy Spirit and then we must step out in faith. See, I had someone tell me one time that they never saw anyone healed. And so my question to them was, well, how many people have you prayed for? And they said, well, I haven't prayed for anybody. I said, well, there's the beginning of the problem. Right, a good place to start if you wanna see God's healing power flow through your life is to start praying for people that need some healing. We've talked about how faith is how we receive in the kingdom, so you need to step out in faith. See, I had a student ask me one time why they never got a prophetic word for someone. And so I asked him, well, did you ever have a situation where you felt like God just put someone on your heart or they highlighted someone to you, maybe at school, just sort of out of the blue? And they said, yeah, I've had that happen. And so I said, well, what did you do? And their answer was, well, not much. I sort of kind of prayed for them. And I said, okay, prayer's good. We should pray for them. But I said, the next time that happens, what you need to do is you reach out to them. You go find them. And in that step of faith, God may just give you something. And when he does, speak it to them in faith and then allow God to give you more. See, there are times where the Holy Spirit just shows up and he may give us a vision or a dream, something like that. But there are other times where we need to take that step of faith. And when we do, the power of God suddenly breaks through and heaven invades earth because we've taken that step of faith. You wanna go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you are qualified. God wants to pour out his power on you so that you can walk in these things. If you're here today and you've never accepted Christ, this can be your day. This can be your day to step into everything that you have been created for because it all begins with knowing him. So if I could just have everybody just close your eyes because I just want you to just get in with the Holy Spirit today. If you have never received Christ or maybe you walked with him at some point, but then you walked away, he is inviting you right back. He's inviting you to step into the very purposes for which you are alive. So I just wanna give a moment now, if there's anybody in this room today and you're just simply making that declaration that I wanna walk with Jesus, maybe I never have before or maybe I have, but it's been a long time. If there's anybody in here today, would you just go ahead and slip up a hand? The next thing we're gonna do is this. We're gonna press in for the power of God. Well, we're gonna press in for Holy Spirit outpouring. I said a couple of weeks ago that altars must become the priority in the church once again. And so we are gonna open these altars up today. And the altar call is simply this. If you are here and you are saying, yes, I am in, I wanna walk in the power of God. I wanna invite you to come to these altars here this morning because I believe in this moment, the Lord is gonna meet some people here today. 
He is going to pour out his spirit on some people today. And you are going to walk out of here with a power that you have never experienced before. And so they're open. Go ahead. If you are saying, yes, I want in on this, I just invite you this morning to come to these altars. Just begin to press in for what he has for you. room today are pregnant with the purpose of God and in this time God wants to birth that purpose because he wants you to move in his power he wants you to move in his anointing he wants you to touch those around you he wants to release in the earth today what he's birthing through you so Lord we thank you for what you're going to birth right now and some of you, it, it, it's hard. You just, you don't, you don't know how to do it. Just let the Lord just birth it through you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing right now, Father. Thank you, Lord, for freshness and newness. Touch your people, Father. Touch your people, Father. Let that hunger and that thirst just be released right now. In Jesus' name. All right, Tammy, if you could just lead us in just going to worship the Lord, just press in, and then we are going to pray for just Holy Spirit outpouring in this room today. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.